But let's talk about Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, today. So we know who his father is. Who is his father? I just want to see how awake you guys are. Abu Talib, good. All right, so his father is Abu Talib. That would mean his brother's name is? Ja'far. I'm just trying to see if you guys are awake, okay. Yes, he has a brother named Talib. There's Talib, there's Aqil, there is Ja'far, and then there is Ali. Okay, so Talib is the oldest uh, son of Abu Talib. Does anyone know what Abd, uh, Abu Talib's actual name was? What his real name was? His name was Abdi Manaf. Abd Manaf. Okay, so Abd Manaf, Abu Talib, obviously because his oldest son was Talib, and it comes down to, as we said, it's Talib, and then it is Aqil, and then Ja'far, who we're going to have a, a, a very special session about at some point, uh, about Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then finally, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, each one of these brothers was a decade apart from the other. So there are 10 years between, approximately 10 years between each of the brothers as the, uh, the children of Abu Talib. And actually, something that really stuck out to me was the naming that was chosen for them. And I'm going to talk about that on Jum'ah, inshallah. So we have two weeks to really live with this family uh, when we talk about these special people as they existed around the Prophet What was the name of Ali's mother? Does anybody know? Don't say Um Talib, okay? <laughs> what was his mother's name? Fatima. Fatima. I mentioned that there are very few Khadijas. In fact, I could not find anyone before Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha named Khadija. But when it comes to Fatima, uh, there is Fatima, the mother of Ali, Fatima bint Muhammad, the wife of Ali sallallahu alayhi wa sallam radiallahu anha. There's Fatima bint Hamza, Fatima bint Shayba. Uh, so Aqil also has a wife named Fatima. There are a lot of Fatimas that exist in that time. Uh, but the mother of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Fatima bint Asad, is so special that I thought about doing a whole lecture about her. But then I said, this series is going to get way too long if I do a whole lecture on, on her and we're just going to end up having to dig uh, a lot deeper. But she is a first as well. She is the first Hashimi woman to accept Islam. The first actual person from the family, the first woman from the family of the Prophet in terms of his tribe to accept Islam. So unlike Abu Talib, who of course had held out because of the implications of his tribe, uh, Fatima bint Asad radiallahu ta'ala anha uh, immediately accepted Islam. So she's considered the first Hashimiyyah, the first woman from Banu Hashim to accept Islam. Uh, some of the scholars put her as the 10th or 11th person as a whole to accept Islam. So she is one of the first 10 or first 11 to embrace the message of the Prophet She did not hesitate at all. When the Prophet informed her about the message, she immediately believed in the Prophet and she always knew there was something special about him. She's also like Umm Ayman, someone that the Prophet referred affectionately to as a mother because she served that role as a mother. Now we know that the Prophet used to call Abu Talib his father and Abu Talib would call him his son. And one of the nicknames of the Prophet was Yatim Abu Talib, the orphan of Abu Talib, right? So there are a hadith where he would say, we remember the story in Asham, where Abu Talib said, this is my son. And the priest said that, no, 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 this, the, the, the young man that's awaited, his father would have passed away. And then he explained that it's his nephew. 
But Fatima bint Asad uh, essentially raises the Prophet Sallallahu particularly from the age of 6 to the age of 25. The age of 6 to the age of 25 when the Prophet Sallallahu got married to Khadija radiallahu uh, ta'ala anha. The Prophet Sallallahu recalled the times of hunger particularly where Fatima bint Asad used to sacrifice her own food for the Prophet Sallallahu and for her children. Remember, Abu Talib's family was struck with extreme poverty. And, and poverty stayed with that family all the way until Islam, okay, into Islam. It never actually left the family of Abu Talib. They were a people that lived in extreme difficult uh, poverty. And the Prophet would recall the times that Fatima bint Asad would, not have, would just have a little bit of food for herself and she would instead choose to distribute that amongst the Prophet and her, uh, and her children. And um, as we said, she accepted Islam uh, instantly. Um, she even considered making hijrah to Abyssinia with her son Ja'far. So we'll talk about Ja'far again in a future halaqa, but she even considered making that hijrah, migrating to escape the persecution in, uh, in Mecca. And she especially loved Ja'far out of her kids for a reason. Because Ja'far looked like the Prophet So she loved Ja'far particularly for his physical resemblance of the Prophet So she had a preference, a soft spot for Ja'far uh, She suffered during the boycott, as we talked about the boycott on Banu Hashim and Banu Muttalib. Of course that would cause the death of Abu Talib and it would cause the death of Khadija And she, uh, she also suffered uh, obviously from the death of her husband uh, Abu Talib in those, uh, in those difficult days. The Prophet used to often, when he would receive something, he would say, divide it amongst the Fatimas. Okay? So Ali anhu would take some of the food and some of the things that would come and he would divide it amongst the Fatimas in the families. Um, Ali anhu says about the Prophet and his mother, he says, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَزُورُهَا دَائِمًا وَيَطِيلُ فِي بَيْتِهَا The Prophet used to go and visit her and he would enjoy her company and sit for a very long time in her home. And when she passed away, shows you the love of the Prophet for this woman. Uh, when she was dying, the Prophet came to her home, he removed his own shirt and he wrapped her in his shirt and he sat beside her bed and he made dua for her while she was passing away and she passed away with her eyes on the Prophet while he was making dua for her. What a way to leave this world. SubhanAllah, wrapped in the shirt of the Prophet staring at the Prophet sitting by her bedside, making dua for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive her and to ease her transition. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that I remembered the day that Fatima bint Asad uh, was buried and she's buried in Al-Baqir, Al-Gharqad. So she's actually, she made the hijrah to Medina and she was buried in Medina. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself jumped in the grave and he uh, he cleared the dirt for her. You know, obviously there, there's a, a task to get inside the grave and to make sure that there's no obstacles, no hard rocks or anything that would prevent the body. And he cleared the grave for her himself, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then he asked for her body uh, to come into the grave. So the Prophet actually received the grave of the, the body of this woman uh, himself, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And 
uh, praised her and then led her uh, janazah. Uh, Fatima bint Asad also through her children, there are 46 ahadith narrated from Fatima bint Asad radiallahu ta'ala anha wa ardaha. Uh, so this is the mother of Ali. And the reason why I wanted to spend a little bit of time is because you, you know Abu Talib, but you often uh, don't hear about the mother of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Fatima bint Asad, the first of the Hashimi women to accept Islam. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was born, um, according to Ibn Hajar, about 10 years before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam received revelation. Okay? about 10 years before the Prophet ﷺ received revelation. Talib was the age of the Prophet ﷺ. And then there is Aqil, 10 years later, and then there is Ja'far, 10 years later, and then there is Ali, 10 years later, and then the Prophet ﷺ received revelation, um, uh, of, cor of course, as, as Ali anhu, was a young boy um, in, his, uh, in his home. And there are a few things that, that are to be mentioned here. Uh, when he was born, I said that we're going to talk about Ali's name on Jum'ah, inshallah, because it's, it's special how Abu Talib chose the names of his children. Uh, his mother named him Asad. So when you hear the famous narration where Ali radiallahu anhu says, Ana ladhi ummu, I am the one whose mother named him Haydar or, or uh, Asad, a lion. Uh, he was actually being authentic, or this was actually a fact that his mother named him Asad, named him a lion. But when Abu Talib came back, he didn't like the name. He was on a journey. So he changed his name to Ali, which means Ulu al-Sharaf, which means someone with great uh, nobility. And subhanAllah, her, her, her intention for him uh, to be named a lion, to be named Asad, uh, was of course realized later on when the Prophet ﷺ would refer to him as Asadullah as the Lion of Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala because of the way that he would carry himself um, in battle. There's also narrations about him being born in the Kaaba. Now, if he was born in the Kaaba, it wouldn't be the only, he wouldn't be the only one to be born in the Kaaba. There's authentic narration about Hakim ibn Hizam, the nephew of Khadija, uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hakim ibn Hizam was also born in the Kaaba. Um, and so, there are some narrations, as we mentioned, of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu being born um, in the Kaaba as others uh, were. Now the Prophet tells the story about how Ali came into his house, and this is narrated in Al-Tabari and Mujahid, that when they were young, uh, Quraysh was struck by a famine, and it made it very difficult for people with large families, especially those that were, uh, especially those that were already in poverty. So the Prophet went to Al-Abbas, of course as his uncle, and he said to Al-Abbas that Abu Talib is going through a hard time because of all of his children. How about we make things easy for him and we take two of his children and raise them for him so that he can focus on getting himself uh, to a financially healthy uh, place. And the Prophet had just gotten married to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha uh, shortly before that. So the Prophet's financial circumstances had changed. So Al-Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu agreed. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was literally an infant. So he was just born. So they we're talking about 10 years before the Prophet receives uh, prophethood. Five years after the Prophet got married to Khadija. So they go together. And they say to Abu Talib, Al-Abbas and the Prophet give us your children. 
so we can make things easy for you and we'll raise them uh, for you. So Abu Talib said, you can take you can take them so long as you leave me aqil. So Abu Talib insisted only on keeping aqil uh, with him. And so the Prophet went up to Ali عنه, as a baby, picked him up and embraced him and he said, I'll take him. Al-Abbas went to Ja'far ibn Abi Talib and he said, I will take Ja'far. So Ja'far, though he was a little older than Ali, as we said, about a decade older than Ali, would be raised in the house of Al-Abbas and Ali would be raised in the house of the Prophet and Khadija And for the benefit of Ali, I want you to think about this because um, you know, Mujahid mentions this as, as, as an amazing miracle. It could have happened that the Prophet could have adopted Ali. He could have officially made him his son, like he did with Zayd, right? So he made Zayd, Zayd ibn Muhammad. It also could have been that Khadija anha could have breastfed Ali, which would have made Ali her son. And, Ali, and Khadija anha had flowing milk, right? There were other children of the Prophet that were born at the time of Ali. And had Khadija anha breastfed Ali, then he could never marry Fatima because he would have been the brother of Fatima, right? He would have been the brother of Fatima. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was protecting this and obviously decreeing this as such a way that this marriage would happen from a very early age, even though it would, it, it would have been understood and it would have been only natural that uh, Khadija radiallahu anha would either breastfeed him, uh, being a young child in her house, or the Prophet sallallahu would officially um, adopt him. And there's no actual stated reason why the Prophet never adopted him and why Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha did not breastfeed him except that it's a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was planning uh, for him very early on. So he's growing up in the house of the Prophet sallallahu and Khadija as a child um, of the Prophet sallallahu and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And he's witnessing everything that we talked about with the Prophet sallallahu and Khadija radiallahu anha from the perspective of a child. So he sees the Prophet when he comes home, the stress, Khadija radiallahu anha embracing the Prophet going to Waraqa, obviously the Fatrah, he witnesses that pause in Revelation where the Prophet is trying to figure out what's happening to him. And before the Prophet would approach Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, this young boy who was again eight, nine or ten years old, to talk to him about Islam, the first exposure would be Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu watching the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha pray on the first night when Surat al-Muddathir was, uh, was revealed. Okay? So remember, Surat al-Muddathir was revealed to the Prophet sallallahu as he was in the arms of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet sallallahu to pray. Now, how the Prophet would pray, was it the, the full um, exposure at that point? No, it was a developing concept of Salah. But still the Prophet was starting to pray. And so the Prophet is praying with Khadija and Ali notices that night and obviously Ali has been seeing things are changing in the household of the Prophet Something's happening here that's not normal, right? Our lives are changing. So his first exposure to Islam, he said, 
that I saw the Prophet ﷺ and Khadija uh, praying at night. So I waited until they finished. And Ali radiallahu anhu walks up to the Prophet وسلم, and he says, Ya Muhammad, ma hadha? He said, Oh Muhammad, what is this? I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what you're doing, how you're praying. What is this? So he said that the Prophet responded, Deenullah alladhi stafahu li nafsihi wa ba'atha bihi rusulah. He said, this is the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the religion of God, which he chose for himself, and he sent messengers in accordance with that. So the Prophet said to him, فَأَدْعُوكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَإِلَى عِبَادَتِهِ وَأَن تَكْفُرْ بِاللَّاتِ وَالْعُزَّةِ So the Prophet told to me, so I call you to Allah, and that you worship him without associating any partners, but at the same time, you reject Allah and Al-Uzza, you reject the idols, Allah and Al-Uzza. And you can realize that the Prophet ﷺ is giving Ali a very serious message. He's not treating him like a child. He's not saying, don't worry about it, we'll talk about this when you get older. He's imparting on him the seriousness of this. This is not something small or just do what we're doing, right? You're a child, just go ahead and follow along with us. He's making it very clear to Ali radiallahu anhu what he was doing. Now Ali says, I grew up in the house of the Prophet I never worshipped an idol. Because the Prophet and Khadija did not worship idols. So I never even worshipped an idol. But when the Prophet talked to me with that seriousness, أَدْعُوكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ I'm calling you to Allah. وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ No partners associated with him. وَأَن تَكْفُرْ بِاللَّاتِ وَالْعُزَّةِ And that you disbelieve in Allah and Al-Uzzah. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, um, he said to the Prophet sallallahu he's a very mature child, he said, هذا أمر لم أسمع به قبل اليوم. He said, look, this is something I've never heard about until today. فلست بقاض أمرا حتى أحدث به أبا طالب. He said, and I can't make this decision without talking to my father, Abu Talib. So he said, I've got to talk to Abu Talib first. Now Abu Talib had not heard yet of Islam. Okay, and this was the maturity of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu where he, he doesn't say this looks cool, let me go ahead and do this too. He's, he gets that the Prophet is imparting a very serious message to him. He's a mature young boy, says to the Prophet I need to talk to Abu Talib. He said the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam smiled at me and he accepted that and he said, إِذْ لَمْ تَسْلِمْ فَكْتُمْ He said, listen, if you don't become Muslim, be quiet. <laughs> don't go blurting this out to everybody what we're doing in this house. That's a lot to put on a 10-year-old, right? Eight, nine, or a 10-year-old. It was between the age of eight and 10, right? So this is what I'm doing. This is the religion. This is our aqidah. This is our creed. And if you're not going to become Muslim, then that's fine. Just don't tell anybody, okay? So you've got to keep it to yourself. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that I said to the Prophet I'm okay. He said that I sat back in the room and he said I watched the Prophet and Khadija radiallahu anha continue to pray. When is this all happening? Ali radiallahu anhu said the Prophet received revelation on Monday, I became Muslim on Tuesday. So this is the very first night of the Prophet and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha making dua, praying together in this way as Muslims. Okay. So Ali radiallahu anhu said, I watched the Prophet sallallahu and Khadija praying and that night I felt something enter in my heart 
and I couldn't sleep. Meaning the message of the Prophet what he was doing, the words that he said to me, I kept re repeating them to myself, trying to comprehend what I heard from the Prophet until it entered into my heart. So he said the next morning, I said to the Prophet can you remind me again what you're calling me to? Can you repeat everything that you said? So the Prophet said, sure. And he repeated the, uh, the message to Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said that I'm calling you to Allah that you worship him without partners and that you disbelieve in Allah and Al-Uzza. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Aslamt. I submit myself. So he actually never went to Abu Talib to talk to Abu Talib about it. He just decided the next morning to accept the message. And he said that from that day, I started to uh, pray with the Prophet and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, you'll find a narration in Bukhari where Ibn Abbas says, Awwalu man salla Ali. The first to pray was Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. What he's speaking about is this, obviously, right? To follow along the Prophet and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, literally on Tuesday. He says, the Prophet received revelation on Monday, wa aslamtu, uh, and, and I became Muslim or I accepted Islam that next morning on Tuesday. Then the Prophet started to invite people uh, in small groups to Islam, particularly Banu Hashim, right? So now the Prophet's mission is to focus on his own tribe of Banu Hashim and to focus on some of the smaller, uh, the smaller groups that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called him uh, to, uh, to, to call upon around uh, his family, okay? So the Prophet ﷺ would go, and before that call at As-Safa, the very famous call at As-Safa, there were actually family gatherings where the Prophet ﷺ privately starts to speak to these small groups of people, and the rumors are starting to spread amongst Banu Hashim and Banu Muttalib that the Prophet ﷺ is calling to a new message. So Ali radiallahu anhu says that I used to accompany the Prophet ﷺ on those little trips where he would go and he would call them to a dinner or he'd call them to a lunch and the Prophet would speak to some of his immediate relatives about Islam. And he said, sometimes I would go with the Prophet and it would just be me and him. And he said, but I would not speak. I was obviously a little boy, so I wouldn't say anything. And he said, sometimes it was Abu Bakr and the Prophet Abu Bakr was of course just two years younger than the Prophet He was far senior uh, to Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he said sometimes the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu would become Muslim soon after, would go out and they would call people to Islam and he said I would go with them but I would remain silent. So Ali himself, being the young boy, did not publicly call to Islam but it was understood he's like the son of the Prophet and he's with the Prophet on these journeys. And then he mentions As-Safa. Right? Where the Prophet decides at this point to broaden his call, to make his first public call to Islam. And it's still to his family, but it's to his extended family. And the Prophet is doing it out in the open, which is when the Prophet stands on a Safa and he starts to call the tribes to a Safa. And the Prophet says, If I was to tell you that there is an army that is behind that mountain, 
that is coming to attack you, would you believe me? And they said, of course, you're a sadiq al-ameen, you're the truthful one, you'd never lie. And the Prophet calls them to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and warns them of a harm, a punishment in the hereafter. So he presses a great sense of urgency on them وسلم, when he's standing on a safa. The Prophet said, so who will follow me? So before Abu Lahab would curse the Prophet the Prophet gives his message. All of these people just responded, united, and said, you're a sadiq al-ameen, we would believe you, right, if you said that there was some harm coming to us. And then the Prophet said, so who will support me? Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu looks around and he sees dead silence. You imagine how, you know, this is Waraqa's message to the Prophet starting to come to him now. Right? That this is serious. That all of these people who just enthusiastically said, we would support you, you're a sadiq, or we would believe you, you're a sadiq al-ameen, now are completely silent. They love the Prophet too much to insult him. But at the same time, they have, you know, they're, they're completely out of sync with what the Prophet just said to them. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he raises his hand, this is his first time publicizing, he says, Ya Rasulullah, I will believe in you. And what do you think that does to the situation? Ali radiallahu anhu is showing his support, but it, it actually further alienates the Prophet from the crowd. It's like the only one that stood up and said, Ya Rasulullah, I will support you, is the little boy, right? His, his little son. And that's when Abu Lahab looks around and Abu Lahab says to the Prophet Tabban laka ya Muhammad alihada jama'atana May you perish, O Muhammad. Is this why you gathered us together? So we could gather all of our gods and worship this one God. So Abu Lahab insults the Prophet Everyone walks away. The Prophet is completely shocked by the incident that just happened. This is, there's no Abu Bakr in this, this is his, fa- this is his family. It's just the Prophet and Ali anhu who wanted to support the Prophet enthusiastically. He walks up to the Prophet to, uh, uh, to, to support him in those difficult moments. And you can imagine what that conversation was like between the Prophet and Khadija that night. Right? Waraqa, who told the Prophet that your people would run you out, was dead now. And Ali walks home with the Prophet who was not physically harmed, but who had just gotten a taste of what was to come, of the alienation uh, with this message. Ali said, I would walk with the Prophet and he said, after that, the people would turn their faces. So there's a, there's a, a, a clear... Um, message is being sent to the Messenger at this point and he says, Wallahi, every single stone and tree would give salam to the Prophet in Mecca, but the people would turn their faces away from him. So you, you imagine the little boy walking with the Prophet in those moments, and this is of course building character for him um, as well. In Mecca, Ali said that I was good at reading people's behavior, so he said that the Prophet appointed me to go and to look out to see if there was anyone that was coming around that looked like they were there to learn about Islam. What does that mean? Ali radiallahu anhu stands around the Kaaba, little boy, young, young man, 
and he looks at the faces of those that are traveling in particular to see if there's anyone that's potentially looking for the Prophet Sallallahu And you know who he found, by the way? Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. So Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu would become Muslim specifically through Ali radiallahu anhu going through the marketplace, looking around, analyzing people's faces, saying salam to people or interacting with the people and getting a sense of who was potentially there to, uh, to inquire about the message of the Prophet And then you have this uh, stunning narration. Think of the Kaaba right now, the Kaaba in particular. And think of all the people that are always there. Now I want you to rewind to this narration. There's a man by the name of Afif al-Kindi. Afif al-Kindi. Afif al-Kindi says, I was a merchant, and he said, I came to Mecca in, uh, in the early days of Jahiliyyah. And he said, I used to stay with Al-Abbas. Al-Abbas was the merchant of Mecca. Al-Abbas used to sell clothes, he used to sell perfume. People used to have debts with Al-Abbas. So he said that I was a close confidant of Al-Abbas. So he said, I came to Mecca to stay with Al-Abbas one day. And he said, I passed the Kaaba and the sun was at its peak. Yani it was like Dhuhr, middle of the day. The sun was at its peak. So he said, I saw a man, a young man, facing the Kaaba with his hands raised, and a boy right next to him, raising his hands like him, and a woman standing behind them, and everybody ignoring them. So this, this is a strange sight. I saw this young man with his hands raised, someone next to him raising his hands next to the Kaaba, and a woman standing behind them doing the same. So he said, I, I, I didn't know who they were, what, what, what was happening. He said, so I watched them. And he said, then they bowed down, and then they made sajda. They prostrated. So Afif says that I went to Al-Abbas, and he said I was late to him, and I told him, I just saw the strangest thing happening at the Kaaba. And Al-Abbas says, what is it? So he told him, he said, I saw this man standing in front of the Kaaba with his hands raised, and then a young boy next to him doing the same thing, and then a woman standing behind them doing the same thing. And everybody was ignoring them, and no one was doing this ritual with them. So Al-Abbas said, do you know who that is? He said, no. He said, that's my nephew, Muhammad Ammihi Ali, and the son of his, uh, of, his, of his uncle, so his cousin Ali, and his wife, Khadija. He said, my nephew, this is Al-Abbas talking to Afif, he says, my nephew says that his Lord is Rabbu samawati wal ard is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, and that he's given him a new religion. And Al-Abbas said, I don't know anybody in the world that follows the religion except for those three. So Afif said, interesting, stayed it with Al-Abbas, he did some of his trade, and then later on, he would become Muslim. Later on, Afif al-Kindi would become Muslim once Islam grew. And Afif used to always cry and he would say, I wish I was the fourth. I wish I was the fourth. Ya laytani kuntu rabi'an. I wish I was, the, I should have been the fourth. I should have been the fourth, right? I had an opportunity in those moments when it was just the Prophet and Ali and Khadija and I could have been that next one 
But instead, he waited until Islam got a little bit more growth and popularity, and then Afif radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, would become uh, Muslim as well. So it kind of just gives you that incident. If you think about the growth of Islam and you think about the, this first family standing there uh, worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the, uh, the Kaaba. And Al-Imam uh, Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala, he likened this to, he said, it's like Ibrahim alayhi salam and Hajar and Ismail. Think about when the Kaaba is first built and think about the moment of Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam and Hajar alayhi salam raising their hands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then later on the fulfillment of that it's once again it's a prophet with his wife and with his child standing in front of that house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declaring the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, uh, and, and, and showing their support to that. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu maintained this position of being obviously extremely close, the first child, the first young man to accept Islam. And he also remained in poverty, right? So the, the family of Abu Talib obviously remained in deep poverty. And there are so many different stations and virtues, but the first one that we'll talk about beyond just being in that close capacity to the Prophet in those early days and being in that close capacity of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha is the day of the Hijrah. When the Prophet asked Ali radiallahu anhu to sleep in his bed on the eve of his departure, knowing that there was a plot to kill him, and the Prophet asks Ali to sleep in the bed and to take his place. Now there were seven tribes that conspired to kill the Prophet and the idea was if all seven of them had blood on their hands, then they wouldn't be able to uh, particularly target one of them for the murder of the Prophet So it would do away with that fitna of tribalism. It wouldn't start a tribal warfare because it was so many tribes that would be implicated in the murder of the Prophet The Prophet left Ali there and he could have. The Prophet obviously had foreknowledge. He could have just left and not put anyone there. And they would have simply burst into the house and they would have found nobody. Now, having Ali radiallahu anhu there gives some sort of a presence in the house so they could see the body of, of someone there in the bed of the Prophet when they're waiting. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu had no hesitation whatsoever to take his place. Not only that, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu sleeping in the bed, knowing that seven people are about to come in there, and what are they going to do? If, he's, once they, if, if they even take the time to uncover and to see that it's not the Prophet they'll probably kill him anyway. At this point now, they're killing people regularly, right? They're persecuting the Muslims regularly. So they probably kill him anyway. Abu Talib is dead. Who's going to take his revenge, right? He comes from a poor family at this point. They'd probably kill him anyway. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that that night, I slept like I'd never slept before. He was snoring. Slept nice and calm, peacefully, knowing that it's only a matter of time before they break into the house and they kill him or they try to kill him. Ali radiallahu anhu was in complete tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that wallahi he freed every part of his body from hellfire by putting it all on the line for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that night. Right? Sleeping in the bed of the Prophet knowing that they're plotting outside to bust in and to attack him. Absolutely no hesitation, absolutely no fear, complete courage, all alone, knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with him. Right? 
and the Prophet is with Abu Bakr in the cave. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously settles their hearts. Anzal alayhim was sakina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends tranquility upon them. And he also descends tranquility onto the the heart of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu as he did on Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the presence of the Prophet sallallahu So they bust into the house, they uncover him and then they see it's not the Prophet sallallahu They're disgusted. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu just gets up and walks away. He, they didn't kill him and he's completely fine, right? And so this was a way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, raising his rank. But then look at the Prophet sallallahu the Prophet told Ali anhu to return all of the amanat, the trusts of the people, before he makes the hijrah, before he migrates. These people are trying to kill the Prophet and this is the moment where the Prophet has left Medina. The Prophet could have said, you know what, if Abu Jahl wants to kill me, I'm keeping his watch. Right? I could keep their stuff. They knew that even as they're trying to kill him, that the Prophet would still have the honesty to maintain their belongings and not to do away with them. And the Prophet entrusts Ali right after they came in, almost killed him. He said, you know, he tells them to spend some time and to go and to return all of the amanat, the trust that the Prophet was, uh, was holding. Ali said, then I made the hijrah. And he said, Wallahi, I had no companion and I had no camel. Ali walking from Mecca to Medina with absolutely nobody and nothing. Imagine making that journey in the desert by yourself and they were so poor. He said, I didn't have a camel. I was too poor to afford a camel or a horse. Gave away all of the amanats of the people. And he said that as I was making the journey from Mecca to Medina, he says that it was so hot in the daytime that he made a strategic decision that he would sleep in the daytime and then he'd wake up at night and then Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu would try to make up as much of the journey by himself in the desert at night to, to avoid dealing with the heat of the sun and the dehydration of making that journey. And the Prophet sallallahu was waiting for Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu in Quba. And the Messenger would go out and look for Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was the last one to make it because I was all by myself, on my foot. The Prophet left me there. So the Prophet is waiting at Quba, making dua for his safety. And then the Prophet sees him when he comes into Quba and he embraces Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and, uh, and, and inducts him into this new system in Al Madinah Al Munawwara. Uh, Ali anhu said, when I got to Medina, the Prophet paired me off. He was doing mu'akha, he was doing brotherhood. He paired me off with Sahil ibn Hunayf uh, Sahil ibn Hunayf was from the Aus tribe and he's one of the people that uh, was an archer that uh, supported the Prophet in Badr and in Uhud. Very close person to Ali who would actually live all the way to the Khilafah of, uh, of Ali and become one of uh, Ali's emirs. He would actually become one of his generals in Kufa and Iraq and pass away and Ali would pray janazah on him. Now what about the Prophet making him a brother to him? Right? There's some narrations that the Prophet when he did the Mu'akha, he made Ali his brother. And we'll actually see that next week in one of the authentic narrations where uh, the Prophet mentions that in the capacity of the marriage to Fatima. Uh, it doesn't seem to, ha to be a contradiction, 
right? So there's some that would say the narrations are not necessarily authentic, but it doesn't seem to necessarily be a contradiction since there is actually an authentic narration where the Prophet called him his brother, that the Prophet still symbolically called him his brother as he paired the Muhajirin and the Ansar and referred to him as such when he brought him there. And there's no doubt that the Prophet saw Ali, or he treated Ali anhu more like a brother than he did a son. Okay, so even though there are 30 years between the Prophet and Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, you see the relationship between the Prophet and Ali anhu very much so like that of a brother. The joking of Ali with the Prophet is a beautiful narration. Ali anhu, again, he's lived in poverty his whole life. And when Fatima married him, they still lived in poverty their whole lives. And the Prophet's house was one of poverty. And Ali said that I used to take up these odd jobs between supporting the Prophet in battle and being in his companionship. Ali was a contractor, right? You need someone to pick something up, you need someone to build something. So he'd take these jobs with his hands. And one day he said, I worked the whole day for this woman and she paid me in tamr. So she paid me in, uh, in 12 dates. SubhanAllah how these people would work. No minimum wage in Medina. You get 12 dates for working the whole day, uh, doing hard work in the heat. So he said, when I got the 12 dates, I knew that the Prophet was hungrier than I was. Right? The Prophet used to go out at night looking for food sometimes. So he said, I took the 12 dates to the Prophet wasallam, sat with him. He said, I took six for myself. I put six in front of the Prophet And then we ate the dates and he said the Sahaba came and they gathered around us. He said, when the Sahaba came, I pushed my six date seeds in front of the Prophet So he had 12 date seeds in front of him. And I said to the Sahaba, look at Rasulullah he eats and he leaves me hungry. That's the type of jokes, that's the approachability of the Prophet and the Prophet ﷺ responded and he says, look at Ali, when he eats his dates, he swallows his seeds. <laughs> so the Prophet ﷺ reciprocates his jokes, right? And this was the type of relationship that they had. Uh, Ali's favorite name was Abu Turab, the father of dust, because that was the Prophet ﷺ's nickname for him, Abu Turab. And it was endearing to the Prophet ﷺ. And even in his own personal life, you see the Prophet ﷺ would seek nasiha, would seek advice from Ali who despite the large age gap and despite the fact that um, he would become his son-in-law, uh, not just like his own son that he raised, but also would become his son-in-law when he marries Fatima uh, after the battle of uh, Badr in Al-Madinah, which we'll talk about inshallah ta'ala next week. So what are some of the other virtues? There are some of these ahadith that are so beautiful, and I'm only going to focus on the authentic ones. It's very hard to sift through when you're looking through the riwayat about Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu because you have some that from the perspective of the sunnah are exaggerated and some that are you know, depreciating. But it was Imam Ahmad rahimahullah who said that there is no sahabi of the Prophet who had more narrations about him than Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So the Prophet praising him, talking about um, his love for him. And that does not take from the maqam of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu or from the khulafa from our perspective. Right, we'll get to that later on, inshallah. We don't see a contradiction between these two. The authentic hadith where the Prophet said, Man kuntu mawlahu fa'ali, mawlahu. Whoever takes me as a sincere, you know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the mu'mineen and the mu'minat being awliya to one another, 
being close loved ones to one another, the believing men and the believing women. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu waliyu alladheena amanu. Allah is the wali of those who believe. The Prophet says, whoever takes me as a mawla, then Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu um, is his uh, mawla. And the munafiqoon, they used to, they got jealous obviously of the relationship that the Prophet had with Ali, and this is something that's widely narrated. And so when the Prophet went to Tabuk, realized the Prophet would leave Ali anhu behind to do some things at times, and this was not to take away from him, this was in praise of him. So just like he left him behind in Mecca, that's not him leaving Ali behind because he doesn't care about him, it's because Ali anhu has very particular qualities of trustworthiness. He's the representative of the Prophet someone that the Prophet loves dearly. And Ali anhu was a warrior too, and a warrior hates to be anywhere but in battle. So you have all these stories of the, you know, every single battle of Ali anhu taking on people that everyone else would, was afraid of, and uh, the pre-battle the pre uh, you know, uh, uh, duels that would take place, Ali anhu going forward with Hamza anhu fighting before the battles. So when the Prophet went to Tabuk, he left Ali behind in Medina to take care of the women and the children that were left behind in Medina. And some of the munafiqoon, they started to make fun of Ali, to say to him that this was a sign that the Prophet was putting him aside. So this started to annoy Ali because he started to think about it. He said, you know, was this, is this some sort of, of um, you know, degradation? Is it, am, am I being lowered in my status because the Prophet left me behind? So when the Prophet came back, he noticed Ali who was bothered by what seemed to be a demotion of sorts in the ranks. And he said to him, to Ali radiallahu Musa, Aren't you satisfied, O Ali, that you are to me like Harun was to Musa, except there is no Nabi after me, there is no Prophet after me. Okay, what does that mean? When Musa left, who did he put in charge of the people? Harun, right? And this was a sign that Harun was on the same uh, wavelength as him, right? So he's leaving behind Ali in charge in, of, of that area in Medina, not because he's taking away from him, but that's the Prophet talking him up and saying, this is the same thing like when Musa uh, put uh, Harun in charge when he, when he went to, uh, uh, to Mount Sinai. Abu Sa'id radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, uh, this is authentic in Sahih Muslim, ma kunna na'rif, uh, na'rif al-munafiqeen ala ahdi Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam illa bibughdihim li Ali. That we knew the hypocrites in the time of the Prophet sallallahu by their hatred of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Ali radiallahu anhu used to say, also an authentic hadith, he used to say that the Prophet sallallahu told me that no one except a mu'min would love me and no one except a hypocrite would hate me. That only a mu'min loves Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and only a hypocrite uh, would hate him. Imam Muslim includes this uh, right after the hadith, Ayatul Munafiq, Bugd al-Ansar, wa Ayatul Mu'min, Hubb al-Ansar, where the Prophet said that the sign of a believer is their love for the Ansar and the sign of a hypocrite is their hatred of the Ansar. And then specifically, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, specified Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu with that type of love. 
there's also the narration of Khaybar, where the Prophet ﷺ in the battle of Khaybar said that tomorrow I'm going to give the banner to someone who loves Allah and His Messenger and who is beloved to Allah and His Messenger ﷺ. And Umar bin Khattab anhu said, I never wanted so badly a position of leadership than that day. And the Prophet ﷺ kept the people waiting and then the next morning, the Prophet ﷺ called Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, or he called for Ali, and Ali radiallahu anhu had uh, an issue with his eyes where he couldn't even see. So the Prophet ﷺ took some of his saliva and he applied it to the eyes of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Ali could see once again. And the Prophet ﷺ gave him the banner, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, granted him uh, victory. In, uh, on his hands. So that was also one of the, the moments where the Prophet وسلم, uh, really uh, gave Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu a special type of love in those moments. And in Mustadrak al-Hakim, there's an authentic hadith where a man said to Salman al-Farisi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, how extreme is your love for Ali radiallahu anhu? And he said, I heard the Prophet وسلم, say, whoever loves him loves me and whoever hates him hates me. And we'll see some of those ahadith next week inshallah ta'ala with uh, Ahlul Bayt, with the family of the Prophet from the books of the Sunnah. Finally, uh, a very special narration, because I love anything that has to do with Jibreel alayhi salam. Uh, also a uh, uh, sanad that is sahih in Muslim Imam Ahmad, that the Prophet looked at Abu Bakr and Ali on the day of Badr. And he said to them, مَا أَحَدِكُمَا جِبْرِيلِ وَمَعَ الْآخِرِ مِكَائِيلِ one of you right now has Jibreel with you and the other one has Mikail We know that the Malaika were sent on that day of Badr to support the believers. So the Prophet said to Abu Bakr and to Ali, one of you has Jibreel, the other one has Mikail with them as you fight on the day of Badr. And I want to end with this because it's really interesting because again, you can't talk about Ali without the politicizing of it, right? And, if you talk too much about him, even from the authentic ahadith, then are you exaggerating? Are you sure these are from our books, right? There's a counter reaction. And then sometimes there's a fear of talking about the love of Ali radiallahu anhu because it would suggest somehow that you're taking away from the other companions in the capacity of that discussion. And guess who else was accused of this? Imam al-Shafi'i. <laughs> al-Shafi'i rahimahullah has poems one of the four Imams of Ahl Sunnah where they accused him of being Shi'i because he loves Ali too much and he talks about Ahl al-Bayt too much. This is a part of our Sunnah, this is a part of the Prophet And he says, لَإِن كَانَ ذَنْبِ حُبُّ آلِ مُحَمَّدٍ He said, if loving the family of the Prophet is sinful, then that is a sin for which I will never repent. Loving them is what the Prophet taught us to do and loving uh, Ali عنه, without the exaggeration uh, that, would, that would contradict some of our credal points is part of our religion, it's part of who we are and it's not something that we should shy away from. And again, I could go on and on and on about him. Uh, we'll reserve some of it next week inshallah to talk about the makings of that marriage uh, with Fatima anha. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with him and to be pleased with the family and the companions of the Prophet and to join us with them. Allahumma ameen.